Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast and our Superintendent Series. This podcast is brought to you by Toro. Those big agricultural tractors you see working on golf courses, with their clutch and complicated lever pulling sequences in a turf maintenance application, they're like stepping onto the first tee not knowing which swing you have that day. I think we've all been there. Toro's new Outcross 9060 can do everything those clunky tractors can, but with tons less stress on the operator and, most importantly, on the turf. With automotive controls and programmable attachment parameters, even rookies on the crew can be trusted with aerating, top dressing, mowing grass, loading sand, and removing snow from around the clubhouse in the winter. Unfortunately, it is that time again for us northern folk. The Toro Outcross 9060 is like having all of your best golf shots saved, ready for use each and every round. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. This episode of our Superintendent Series features Culver Military Academy's Superintendent Michael Vesely. Michael has been at Culver a few year, years now. It's a uh, little-known nine-hole course in uh, central Indiana, but it is one of the best nine-hole courses in the world. Uh, very few people know about it. The play is pretty restricted. It, 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 only people that can really play it are alumni, faculty, and students at Culver. Michael has been working on this Langford Moreau course for a few years, and recently, in talking to one of his crew members, he learned about some old tee boxes. So Culver was originally planned for 27 holes by Langford Moreau, but you know they built nine like they did with many courses uh, back then. And uh, now this has led uh, Michael on a little bit of a, a historical deep dive looking for remnants of the other holes that could have possibly accompanied these tees. So I went out, uh, it's it's about two hours from Chicago, and we, Michael and I walked around the woods for a couple hours looking for, for greens, tees, um, found something that might look might look like a green. Um, we'll see. We'll see if we can find out more in the future. But Michael, uh, we talked about his career as well as Langford Moreau maintaining Culver and uh, the historical dive that he's on and, and, and what he's uncovering and... and the whole process. So without further ado, here's Michael Vesely, and uh, I hope everybody had a happy and safe holidays. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. What, uh, when you were a kid, what subjects were you best at in school? Uh, math, for sure. And uh, um, yeah, it was probably my best one. Uh, and science as well. Science? Yeah. That makes sense for turf. Yeah. They, yeah. 
were were you good at history? Uh, I was interested in history, for sure, um, and still am, still am. But uh, yeah, I guess it wasn't one of my best subjects, but it interests me. Now, now you find yourself immersed in in a historical deep dive, huh? Correct. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. So you're at Culver. It's a a famous um, military school, world renowned, and it has nine hole golf course, Langford Moreau, that relatively untouched, pretty much untouched, except for a couple things maybe. Um, restored. You came in mid restoration, but. Tell us a little bit about the last couple of weeks and what's how you've gotten on. You've found some tea boxes. Yeah, the last couple of weeks, like I said, have been interesting. I was uh, we were out uh, cutting up a tree that had blown over, uh, and there's a, a gentleman that works here that's been uh, employed with the academy for 35 years, um, and he just nonchalantly mentions uh, there was a tea box underneath our current maintenance building. And, you know, I, I I looked at him puzzled, like, you know, what are you talking about? And he's like, there was a, a tea box I used to mow until they built the new maintenance building, along with a few others that are out on the property, um, which got me to, to looking into uh, what else was out there. And um, I've, I've recently started digging into the old, uh, it's called the Vedette. It was the Culver Academy uh, publication that's been ongoing since the late 1800s. Um, and just looking at articles to see if there were other holes that were built uh, or or what else is out there. So it, it's taken me on a an interesting trip so far. Yeah, it was, the Langford Moreau plan, they... they designed 27 holes for the military academy and it's long been believed that they only built the nine correct and uh so you've been diving in what have been the interesting i mean one of the beautiful things with it being in a school is the paper I exactly mean, not a lot of courses had this their own like essentially publication right right so you've started to read what what are some interesting things that you've found that well, maybe push you one way or push you the other way. Yeah, the uh so you, I've start I've gotten to as early as 1921 um where golf was becoming popular uh in this area um according to the paper. It was a the new sport, the new sport from Europe and uh was was catching on. They called it I've read a few articles where they called it the golf bug was catching on and uh and, and Culver's prouded is proud of its uh athletic prowess and and uh uh you know fielding a lot of a lot of sports and athletics um and they uh wanted to get into golf so there was uh um there was uh, a lot of talk in the early 20s obviously of of a golf course um they used the Max and Cucky uh country club is what it was called uh then uh, it seemed like, from what I've read, they used that to play golf uh, from time to time. Now, it wasn't a set schedule or anything. They just would call up local schools. They even played Notre Dame uh, for many years. The university. The university. Uh, after um, 
later on they would just play the freshman Notre Dame team, but they played the the University of Notre Dame golf team. Uh, they played Valparaiso University golf team. I've read. Um, so uh, it, it was just you know the sport was catching on. I think, and it just it grew and grew, and and Culver always wanted the finest for their for their cadets. Um, and that's where the Culver family decided to build the golf course. Um, I, I mentioned to you that they um, found three firms that they that were drawing up plans for the course. Now I've yet to find out who the other two firms were. Obviously, one of them had to have been Langford and Moreau. Um, so th- it, it's that that was an interesting tidbit I found. Um, the other thing was there. There was there's not a lot of mention of extra holes after 1924, um, until you get to 1932, where there was a mention in an article that they wanted to expand the course to to an 18 hole course. Um, so originally 27. Quite the, quite the time to be considering. Yeah. 18 hole expansion. Right, right, because the you know you figure the depression. I know enrollment was down after the depression, um, but you know, for, for th- there, there was, there's a mention in an article of, of expanding it then. So, um, you know, th- th- those, those are probably the most interesting things I found so far. Now I'm just getting into it. So th- there's a long way to go to figure out, uh, where these tea boxes came from, why they're here. And if anything else was, was ever done. It, obviously the golf community, it, I think one of the amazing things that Twitter's done is for your profession is that it connects you with all these different people. Talk about a little bit how Twitter and the ability to, you know, you've had conversations with all these people that have been either that can relate to this or lend expertise in different areas for this. So talk a little bit about, you know, who you've connected with and, and where, how they've kind of helped you push you into certain directions on, on your uh, kind of, history hunt here yeah well twitter has been great for me personally for for agronomic reasons first um i i was not you know an architect junkie uh uh, before i came here um i I work i was more into turf uh than architecture until until i saw this place and it, it piqued my interest and and obviously being here a lot of people have uh in that uh arena have contacted me because they're interested in Culver. So it, it it has lent itself to a pretty big network of architect fans and, and people who are uh, well more equipped at digging into history than I have. Now, uh, I have connected with, with Sean Tully at Meadow Club via Twitter. Uh, and then we, we spent uh, five days at a, it was called the uh, Superintendent's Retreat, uh, Mindfulness Retreat. It was at Prince Edward Island in uh in Canada and him and I were both selected. So I was able to spend four or five days with Sean in a beautiful setting. And, and we, uh, we talked a lot, uh, not just about golf, but a lot of things, but, um, you know, one, one evening he, he broke out his, uh, his hard drive with all his findings he had, which was just incredible. But since in the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, interest has perked up and, in what I'm finding out here. And we had a, we had a very good conversation, uh, this past weekend. Uh, he's, he's coaching me on, on how to do things and where to do things and where to look. And, um, 
so it's been uh he's been a great asset in this journey so far what what type of stuff has he been recommending because obviously you're at the beginning of this like you know what type of uh you know research methods was he suggesting that you might not have thought of well a few well one good thing as you mentioned is we have an archives here at the academy so that i'm i'm lucky in that respect is that i've got all these newspapers plus there are things over there uh communications between culver and and whomever we may be looking for are are over there along with photos so the paper is a good start and then the photos and, and everything else that's at our museum is going to be another deep dive. But one one interesting thing he mentioned was to find photographers that took pictures back then. He, he has found out there a, a family that has been in photography since the 20s. And, and the family's just carried it on. And he, he would he would find photos with the name of the of the family at the bottom. And then he would contact the the current family members and say, Hey, do you have photos from, and, uh, they, at first they didn't think that they did. And Sean showed them a picture of, uh, I think it might've been Cyprus that had their name on it. So they looked into it and sure enough, they had photos of, of golf courses back then, back in the twenties. So, um, that, that was an interesting idea to find out photographers and if there's a family lineage of, of photographers still around, um, and, and one interesting thing, the other interesting thing was to, to go to, uh, postcard shows to find people that have postcards from, you know, and he's, he's like, you never know where, where it leads or where it can go. I mean, he's, he's made connections that way. So, um, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to, to digging in a little further. So next step is to get really deep in the archives. Yeah. That's the next step. And, you know, you can track down some. I've mentioned uh, Irv Nelson, who was the golf pro here in the 20s, to to try and track down his his family lineage and see if there's children around that may have some things from from then. Um, and, you know, there's just so many ways you can go. It's, it, it, it'll be, like I said, interesting. What I mean, in, say you're, you go down this rabbit hole, like what would be you know, dream scenario for you? Well, a dream scenario, maybe to find a green pad, maybe. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm really not, I, I really haven't thought that far ahead. I just, it's more of a historical thing to find out what happened when and, and what changed and, and why they, you know, I'm sure when I get, as I mentioned, when, when we get to the Second World War, that's probably when things were just like, you know, done. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're I'm at a point now, like I said, with 1932 uh, to the 40s, you know, what what transpired. So, you know, I, more of historical reference for me now um, than uh, I don't I don't believe they'd ever expand the place or, or make another nine holes or anything like that. It's just more of a, you know, this is, this is what I found and, uh, you know, finding some pretty neat things. You mentioned you weren't really into architecture when you got here. Didn't know a ton about it. How, how is your, you know, you're really into turf. How is your turf, 
I guess in presentation and style of maintenance changed as you've started to understand more about the history and the and the architecture behind the golf course. Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. Um, it, it, it's made me made me think more about the things we're doing out here. Looking at more, trying to present the course in in the in the intent of the arch, architect. That's that's where it's changed. I've I've, I've definitely become more minimalistic in our approach. Um, trying to use less and just just use what's here and you know maintain it to a, a, a high standard, but um, looking for more role, looking for more uh, playing slopes um, instead of the you know sixty degree flop shot to look at you know how can we uh, maintain this area firmer. How can we improve our mow lines to bring in bunkers that were were intended to be hazards to for balls to roll into um which is that that's been uh this past season was was a big goal of mine was to try and improve our mow lines to incorporate these plateaus that Langford built that are you know just amazing uh uh plateaus that that have so many features that i i wanna enhance those features and just bring more of a of a ground game back to uh, which w- was the intention of this golf course for sure uh, when it was built um, and you can tell you can see the you can see the slopes and, and where balls were meant to go so um that the minimalistic part and and trying to firm things up and and it has changed a lot my philosophy on on turf management for sure how have you gone? Obviously, you're nine hole course, small crew, not the bit world's biggest budget, and uh, you know the one nice thing you don't have a ton of play. Right. But like, how have you gone about the expansions? What what strategy have you gone to achieve getting more width? Well, we have the the 1939 aerial, which which helps uh, bring in some lines, but. Uh, you know, I've I've talked to uh, uh, a couple people. Uh, Sean Tully's been one. David Normoyle. Uh, I've communicated a lot with him in the last year and a half about intent of of mow lines, how greens uh, that were built in the golden age uh, were considered the head of the golf hole, and the approaches were the shoulders, which is why not not just the neck. So, isn't it funny how it, it Everything got neck dense. Yeah, smaller. It yeah. is, it is, and it 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 uh, and it definitely uh, during the restoration they widened the approaches out uh, immensely. But they didn't bring the bunkers in um, that sit front and inside of the green. So that's such a good way to describe it. Like the the shoulder, the approaches yeah, are the shoulders. W- when David said that, it like was like a, a light went off. I'm like, I see it now. And he's got like a really great way of describing. It, stuff. He, it's it's fantastic. He's I mean, like one of the best communicators yes. I've ever met. Yes. Yeah. I mean, every I, mean, I could show you the text messages. I mean, it's just like he says things, and I'm just like, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. I couldn't say any better. And like the the shoulders. I, I mean, the light went off. I'm like, I see it. I I saw it. You know, I could drive around. And I say, I I I see what he was. I see what he means when he says that. Um, and we were doing this when the U.S. Women's Open was at the Country Club of, of Charleston mm-hmm. this year. So we were talking during that, and you could see a lot of, I, I could visualize that from that course, 
um, what he was talking about. The wide shoulders and the and the greens were just the head of it. So you you want to bring you want to bring all those characteristics into the hole. Uh, and as he George Waters mentions, you you you, you don't want to separate good shots from bad shots. You want to separate good shots from great shots. Mm-hmm. So your ball will, uh, which we saw at the President's Cup, it can roll. You know, if you're off, you know, a yard or two, it's going to go into a bunker, or it could roll next to the pin. I mean, it's just that that was that was my intent of of changing the mowing lines around the greens this that, year. That President's Cup was pretty unbelievable to watch, right? Yeah, crazy, crazy good. I imagine from like a turf perspective, that was like a a dream to watch. Yeah, you know, especially yeah. when you're you're starting to really believe, oh. I need to do this for the firmer and faster for these reasons. Yeah. And, you know, uh, then you have this event that I imagine just affirmed your thoughts more. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And they, you know, no doubt they have an advantage with the, with the soil conditions they have there and, and all of that jazz. I mean, that they, uh, they can do those sort of things Now we can get close to, to stuff like that. We're here at Culver, we're heavy clay soil. So it's it's hard to dry it out too much because you, you lose turf uh, when that happens. So, um, but it definitely reaffirms um, a ground game, more uh, interesting, more fun. Seemed like to me uh, to be able to uh, play slopes and and play angles and and things of that nature to uh, to enhance the game and make it more fun. Yeah. I think for for everyone, not not just the the best players, but I think that would that would be more fun for everyone. Um, but one thing I noticed too while watching it is is their mowing lines uh, and how in, they incorporated all their bunkering around greens, which was the intent of the bunkers. It was the ball was, you know, a, a missed shot was supposed to go into the bunker, not roll down three inch rough and stop. Yeah, uh, which is what we were were dealing with here. So you know, to see to see Royal Melbourne's bunkering and and their close mode uh, all the way around, um, you know, except on the backsides where they they let the rough go, just kind of reaffirmed what what we're trying to do here. So it was it was really fun to watch. And there are you know there there are some similarities. Like obviously, Melbourne the the soil is completely different, but you know, you've got large undulating greens that have a lot of slopes around them that, that make positioning extremely, you can be in really good positions one day and really bad positions the next day, just thinking about the golf course. And I think it's obviously, you know, Langford and Moreau were, their greens were, were severe greens and, and their surrounds were very difficult with big bold bunkering right you know and in in that in a way obviously the soils couldn't be more different but the the architecture behind them and the intent was very similar um in terms of technically how have you been going about your fairway expansions like is it a mow down is it a sod what what have you how have you been trying to approach them Uh, Right now, it's just uh, we've just slowly been mowing them down. And you uh, had bluegrass. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we got everything out here. I mean, it's it's a hodgepodge of grasses. There's a lot more bent grass out here than I originally thought. So it, it's 
a lot of the area, I'm kind of just following where the bent grass takes me um, in some areas. But it basically what we've done is, is mowed them down uh, slowly, started sanding them, top dressing them more, um, you know, some, some growth regulators to try and promote the turf that we want. Uh, aerating? Yeah, aerating more, uh, overseeding. Like how, many, how many times a year are you aerating the areas you're trying to expand? Well, this, well, this was our first season, so uh, we, we did them twice. Um, okay. Uh, and, and, and more sand. I mean, that's just as kind of, uh, simple as that, you know, just trying to firm them up get what we want, get the grass we want to grow going there. I, I, I'm trying. You have this hodgepodge of grasses when you aerate and sand, you know, for the layman, what, what is it doing? Uh, well, we're, we're firming the surface up, uh, trying to get rid of the clay on top basically so we can get better drainage and, and just promote it gives a good base for uh, the bent grass that we're trying to promote. Um, we we've done it we've done it well on our greens. Our greens were never sanded for eighty years, so in in the last five years, uh, we've we've added about a three inch layer of sand into the profile of our greens, um, which has obviously firmed them up. They drain fairly well, um, and, and it's just it's just. Uh, a, a better environment for for bent grass to grow. So that we're taking that same philosophy out to the surrounds and the fairways. So it's it's not anything big or extravagant. It's just uh, it it takes time. Now for a quick word from our sponsor. Golfers get custom fit clubs for longer and straighter shots. Now using the adjustable technology on Toro's new Greensmaster 1000 series walk green mower, superintendents can dial in operator performance for precise, consistent cuts. The Greensmaster's telescoping handle has five different positions, so the operator's posture will be as perfect as a tour pro's, whether he's tall and skinny or short and husky. And the handle's rubber mounts have just enough cushion to prevent any hand movements from influencing the cut. Sounds like Toro's solved the mower yips. Maybe they can fix the putting yips next? Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. Now back to Michael Vesely. Has there been any pushback from like the people that have played here forever about, about the expanded areas? No pushback. Yeah. No pushback. It's uh, it, and actually, not a lot of people have even commented on it. <laughs> Don't you know, notice. it's just you know, th- we get we get visitors from time to time that are into uh, uh, architecture, into Langford Moreau that and and they comment about it how they'd like to see more of it. Uh, you know, expanded more, uh, more short grass. Um, but as far as like you know the 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 school's team or faculty, I don't get a lot of feedback uh, about it, which is one of the downsides to not, you know, th- those are the only people that can play here. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was you know brought it. I questioned that before I took the job of what you know what was going to motivate me to keep going because I don't get daily comments about uh, you know the this was bad or this was good or, you know, the, the everyone hears, but, uh, you know, it's just, 
the feedback I really get is probably on Twitter and and you know from my visitors that come and play. So yeah, talk about talk about that. You you, you know, there's about two thousand rounds a year played. I would so. say yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's, that's high. That's probably high. Okay, but. So it's going to be one of the lowest played golf. It's, and for those wondering, I mean, one of the best nine-hole courses in the world, um, without a doubt. I, I'd put it up there with any anywhere, but um, that's a, any nine-hole golf course. I mean, it's it's one of the best courses in the Midwest. Uh, do you have trouble with motivation ever without no, having, I, like, you know, that? So, so far, no, because there's – there's been an an ergonomic challenge uh since I started. The greens were like walking on a mattress when I started. And I and uh, you know people say that you know jokingly but they they really were. So and that was just from 80 years of yeah. no top dressing. Yeah, nothing. Just very spongy. Like, very spongy. I mean, thatchy. I that I walked on the fourth green was the first green I ever walked on and I was just like oh my gosh. <laughs> what what's going on here but uh so th- there was the challenge of, you know, bringing those back. And and they had just started expanding them out to where they are now. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of thin areas and and they they you know, they just didn't look very good at that time. So that you know, that was a challenge and I, and I knew it would be uh and that that definitely kept me motivated and luckily the other the other members of the crew were were just as eager to make it to make it better. So, you know, we're at a point now where I'm pretty satisfied with the, the way our greens are, are reacting uh, throughout the summer now. Um, so, you know, there's just different areas w- that I get to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 when I took the job, I assumed it'd be 10 years or so before it was actually, you know, where I, th- I thought it should be. Um, you know, cause they didn't, they didn't reseed or redo the fairways. They they redid a couple tee boxes, but everything was just what's been here for a hundred years. So um, it was just going to be on us to to make it fit what they wanted to do. So th- that's that's a challenge enough. And then you know we focus. Uh, I'm lucky that we focus on uh, the boys' season in the spring and the girls' season in the in the fall. Um, the summer's kind of slow here because of our summer camp uh, we have six week summer camp from about the third week of june to the beginning of august so the go- the course is closed during the week all day un- until they're done with their camp classes so you know we we, we get to have a little downtime in the summer which is uh, what are you doing those those days we're we're here i mean we're we 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 do our mowing in the morning and then we uh you know, it's a three-man crew, okay, mm-hmm. uh, and including me. So um, it, it's very busy um, to get everything done that we try to get done for three people. It's probably the busiest I've ever been, but it's not a stressed-out busy. You know, you just you go from one job to the next. So it, you know, it takes two of us to mow and roll greens every day, while the other guys mowing rough or or moving tea markers or you know it's just a it's a busy time uh during the summer but we just don't have a play yeah. uh that you normally would to to get around i mean we're we're getting around most most times the kids during their classes are either playing this four holes 
the one through four or they're on five through nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always have a place where we can we can go and, and find projects to do and, and things of that nature. So, um, you know, it's it, it, we're not working around people, but it's still it's still busy. What uh, what what were you doing before? This uh, this job. What was the, what 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 course were you working at? Before? I, I I was at Blackthorn in South Bend okay. for three years as the assistant. I started out. Is uh, that a, was that is that private or? A it's a public public golf course. Okay. Yep. Yep. Very busy. Very mm-hmm. busy. I mean, uh, you know, 150, 200 rounds a day. I started uh, at a at a grow in actually at a course in my hometown in North Judson. Um. It, the course is called Chesapeake Run. It, it's still there. The owner of the golf course I grew up playing was building a course in my hometown, and I was, uh, I, I went to college for a year. Didn't know what I wanted to do, so I just started working. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked a couple odds and ends jobs, and and he uh, said he was building a golf course, and I'm like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll help you out. I need you know summer job or whatever. So so we started. Uh, when they were constructing that, um, grew it in and I just kind of fell in love with turf at that point. I mean, it just amazed me, uh, where it was and then what it went to, uh, as far as turf and greens. And, and so I just really got interested really got intrigued by the profession and just worked my tail off there. Um, I stayed there for two or three years didn't have the title of the assistant, but that's pretty much what I was. Um, the superintendent left after three years, and I, and they just asked me to take over, so I did. Um, and during that time, I I I went back to school, uh, did the Penn State turf, the online program, got my bachelor's degree, uh, and then at the uh, end of oh eight, oh nine, when the recession started. Uh, we had just, or the Chesapeake had just started building a, uh, housing development. Oh boy. Yeah. So, th- timing. <laughs> so the golf course started supporting everything and financially struggled. Uh, and, and you could tell, I mean, you know, I t- could tell. So I, I just started looking, you know, I, I got to find something, you know, but I, I had never been the assistant you know, at a bigger club or, you know, so I always thought that that may need, I may need to do something like that just to see. And I, you know, I was sending out resumes for assistance jobs and, you know, the feedback was you don't have enough experience at other places or. Even you though know. you were the head superintendent yeah, at yeah. another golf course. Right. Right. And I, you know, and some people were like, you know, what are you doing? Why, why are you, you know, doing it this way? And I'm just like, I just want to, I just want to get experience. I want to know if I know what I think I know, <laughs> you know, and if I could do it at a place like that. And it, the funny thing was, is I, I got two interviews in 09. One was at Augusta. Wow. For a turf position. And the other was at Oakmont Holy with cow. John Zimmers. So I, my family, well, I had, had a, a nine month old at the time, but we drove out to Pittsburgh and, and I got to interview with John and, and drive Oakmont and, and look around. They were preparing for the uh, 2010 U.S. Women's Open then. Uh-huh. Um, so that, probably, that was probably like right when they were cutting down trees at night. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, it, it was yeah, during that. Um, 
but that was i mean it was incredible that was a fun trip um and then the the the, the augusta interview was just on the phone but i i talked to their first assistant um for a good hour hour and a half on the phone um who's basically the superintendent of the course mm -hmm. um takes care of the maintenance but uh and then i i i got an interview at uh point of woods as well with ron fox there um so there there was a few people that understood what i was trying to do uh high-end private club yeah yeah but then the the local courses yeah, there's not much movement. It's just not much movement around here. But the but Blackthorne, John Quickstad, who's the superintendent of Blackthorne, has been since it was constructed. Um, you know, he he wanted uh, uh, a good player on his team. So yeah, hungry. Yeah, eager to learn. Yeah, yeah. So I I went there. It's a high end uh, public. Um, what did th they hosted the uh, Symmetric Tour, the Four Winds tournament. Did this fall in like what what at leaving Oakmont was that something that you were seriously considering moving? Yeah. For yeah, and did I was. The, this coincide around the same time? Yeah, and then a place where you didn't have to move. Right. Correct. Opened up. Now I, I um yeah the housing market was pretty bad at that time so uh, think considering all that um the job opened up at, at Blackthorn. Um, and I, you know, I took it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think a lot of people would question, right. Right. you know, it was now it was an hour drive from my home each way. So, which, you know, to, to me is a long way, but, uh, you know, that I had to consider that there was a time change eastern time to central time that's so strange it's cra it's crazy yeah <laughs> it it is uh especially when you're working at 4 30 or 5 in the morning i live in central time and work in eastern time so five o'clock start time at work is four o'clock at my house and when you had an hour drive you, i mean you can you know i was leaving it waking up at 2 30 in the morning and leaving at three just to get to work so it um it 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 became sort of an issue after a few years. Yeah, um, I bet. I was, uh, my wife said I was a walking zombie, um, just because especially of, with a newborn. With yeah, and I had two kids at that time then. So I mean, it had to make it hard on her too. Yes, absolutely. The hours have to be tough with kids. Yeah, it is. It is, and that that's what made Culver so interesting. But that that was a challenge then. I mean, it was. Um, well, the commute made a lot of it. I mean, if I, if I didn't have to drive so far, it would have been better. I mean, we, we weren't burning the midnight oil at Blackthorn. I mean, mm -hmm. it was, it was a pretty typical, uh, maintenance job, but, uh, you know, the drive and the, and the time change and things like that made it, made so it very difficult. And that's where, where Culver came in for me. So going from somewhere with like heavy, heavy play to hear where very light play you know what was the biggest kind of shock in terms of of your the way you looked at your job there and like how much it changed well obviously it changed a lot i mean we're not we're not working around people a lot but i, I don't know if it was a, a the biggest shock or the or just a uh, i don't know how to describe it 
really just a, a relief in, from pressure. Um, not that I don't enjoy pressure of, of, of performing, um, but having a, a golf course like this, being able to try certain things without, you know, if if we have a, a poor area or something, it, it doesn't really affect whether people are going to come and play or not. You know, it's just kind of a, um, kind of my own laboratory. Yeah. Of trying different things in in turf or in agronomy. Um, so, there there was nothing really shocking of the change, but more of a um, stress level went down and and uh, the commute time went way down and just uh, just a big relief. Really, sleep went up. Yes, <laughs> sleep went up, and uh, you know, my wife was got her husband back. I think. Yeah, uh, we're, talk about work-life balance. I think, I think I I struggle with it personally. I think a lot of people yeah, do, I and I think of, a lot yeah. of superintendents do. Yeah, because like you leave so early, and right. right, the days are so long in the summer. Yes, yes. So you're you know when you leave in the middle of the day, you're kind of leaving your job with well stuff still going on at right. your job what how have you learned over the years to balance it better uh the biggest thing i've learned is and it it might be cliche now but it's that it's just grass and whether you're here eight hours or 16 hours is not going to make that much of a difference in my opinion now I'm here. I, I don't. I'm not. I don't have a greens committee breathing down my neck, or, or the the four members that are upset about it. You know, all over me. But to me, now now work life balance is a struggle for a lot of people, for sure. Um, and there's there's question on what what is that definition of balance? I mean, or, you know, or whether you're at home or at work more or less. You know, I. I'm not sure where balance comes in, but, um, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world to, to leave after eight hours. In in my opinion, um, you, if you can't get done in eight or 10 hours, uh, what you need to get done in a day, then, you know, might need to find another area to, to work at because I just, that's just that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think um, it you make you can make it work and have a home life as well. I truly believe that. Um, now it may not be at where you're at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they may expect a little more, but I just think that. Um, and it comes with with I think it comes just with age and experience, and you know you just you realize that uh, if if an area of a fairway dies that it you know, it's going to come back. It's all going to come back. It's it's interesting what you said about um, kind of being your lab, no greens committee breathing down your neck. And I think a lot about architecture and golf architects when they get to build stuff uninhibited. You know, it tends to be a little bit, a little bit more wild. You know, a little bit more bold. Like you see, I think one that jumps to mind is Rob Collins became the architect and owner of Sweetens Cove and he built some of the most audacious greens that we've seen in modern golf construction yeah, and absolutely 
you know, you can you can say, okay, well, he didn't have an owner that he was appeasing, right? You know, he, right. As a superintendent, I don't have a greens committee that I'm appeasing. You you know, you report to the academy, the university, and you know that not necessarily somebody that's really you know day to day in the weeds on the grass, like in in even club greens committees, right? A greens chair is very very involved in the grass, correct? And, and where would you would you say that that's been advantageous for you as a superintendent? Well, definitely advantageous in that you can try things that, you know, if they fail, it's not, you know, it's not going to really come back. You know, nobody's going to come and, you know, you're going to lose your job because this didn't this didn't work out this way, the way you thought. So uh, being an an educational uh, institution is an advantage as well, because, you know, we're always trying to improve uh, what we're doing here and trying different things and. Uh, environmentally or however you know historically historically historic, yeah yeah definitely historically uh i i never i hardly ever talk about culver golf course without mentioning the academy and tying the two together because the story of both of them is just fantastic i mean uh, there's a lot of history and, and some history i don't know for sure but i just um the stories you hear and and things uh uh, that I've read while researching the golf course have been uh, fascinating too. Um, so it, it's, uh, y- you know, it, it lends itself to be more free in, tr- in trying things as far like widening the fairways or, or widening mm-hmm. the approaches. Um, I- I'm very fortunate, and I know this, so I try not to tell too many people about, <laughs> about the job, but I'm very fortunate that um, I can do those things. Yeah. And I, and I understand a lot of people can't and and I I often share things on Twitter that um I know people can't try or do or products that they you know we 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 tried to kill the poa on this fifth fairway this year. I I know a lot of clubs can't do that, but I I share those things hoping that, you know, if if others can see what it does and and how it works, maybe they can sell it. Uh, to their clubs, you know, things like that. So I try to, I'll, I'll try to work with certain chemical companies or, you know, I've, I've offered uh, Purdue University, you know, if you want to try something in a real golf setting, you know, let me know, contact me, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot, you know. So I'm uh, th- trying to, trying to help out as much as I can, but I'm, I'm very fortunate that I can do that for sure. What what would be um, what would be next on your list? Say you get done with all the fairway expansions you really want to do in the next, say, just two years. What, what do you have like a checklist that you're working down? Yeah, I mean, what, with the expansions, I'm trying to improve our fairways. Yeah, uh, the hodgepodge has been problematic um, because of the amount of poanya grass that we have in our fairways. Um, the summer months. Uh, they struggle um, and they struggle a lot sometimes. So improving the desirable uh, turf stands in our fairways um, is kind of with the expansion is, is on the list. I mean, we're uh, as I mentioned, we, we've, we've tried a product that will uh, kill Poania in fairways. Um, talked about adding a top dressing program to the fairways trying to get more sand, obviously, on them. Um, but that's kind of my next uh, goal 
would be to get desirables, firm them up, and and have them play the way they were meant to be played. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and you know, obviously those are those are running into our greens and surrounds now as well. So, it's kind of all tied in together. You you played a lot more golf this year than you had in years past, right? Yeah. What yeah. uh what did that do to kind of from a professional standpoint? Uh well, it's always good to play your course. Um cause Cause I, I remember when we met you hadn't played very much. Yeah. It it'd been it was a long like what 2016. Yeah, it'd been a long time at that point. Um and and working at Blackthorn, I didn't get to play a lot, obviously, because of the commute and 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 having having kids and family and you know all those other obligations take takes away from being able to play. But I I made a commitment to play more. I just uh, wanted to see how our course played, and I and I enjoy playing golf. I mean, I've I've started playing when I was twelve or thirteen years old, so it's 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 always. Uh, it's always been there. It's just a time factor. And, and you mentioned work-life balance and my wife was supportive of playing golf, you know, having time to myself and playing golf and, and, uh, enjoying the sport again. But it, you know, it, it, you see different things than you would just walking the golf course for sure. Um, you know, you, you see how things play, uh, you can feel the ground, how, you know, where, where you might need to improve or remove something or, or uh, you can see actually, you know, what things you've done that are right. You know, uh, I remember uh, playing uh, hole two where we, we we mowed down the face of the front bunker there. And I was, my shot was short and left of the bunker. And I remember looking at that shot saying, I got to get it over that face or, you know, the ball's coming back down in the bunker. So, I mean, that's, that's where I think the intent of Langford was, mm-hmm. was you, you got to hit the shot right or you're coming back in the bunker. So, you know, seeing things like that, you can say, okay, that's, you know, I think we're doing that right because if I'm thinking about it, then then other golfers are going to think about that, you know, where to miss type of uh, shot. Yeah, t- talk a little bit about maintaining Langford Moreau. I, I know I... I was at Harrison Hills, which is another Langford, and I ran into the superintendent, and we were walked and talked for a little while, and he was telling me how difficult it was with this with the slopes and just how how much of a struggle and how how frustrating it was really for him, and and we're talking about you know 2018, you yeah. know, struggling, and yeah, you think about. What 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 was it like maintaining in nineteen twenty right twenty eight right you know right exactly, and you know it, it is difficult. Uh, it's difficult to find the right piece of equipment to do it if there is one. Um, it's, and it's because of the steepness it's and the, the steepness of yeah. it, the 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 angle of the slope. Um, and it, which which is another in- interesting thing is that that got me to thinking. Uh, looking back on intent, and I read Langford's book that he wrote. Like uh, the name of it, uh, it's slips like my the m- Chicago Green section yes, thing. Yeah, from nineteen fifteen. Nineteen fifteen. That's yeah. exactly right. That's uh, it was found by uh, Craig Pratt. Oh, really? He found it in the Michigan State Turf uh, Library. The library. His wife was uh, 
getting her PhD or something. And he was he was like, "Honey, I need you to go into the archives and find this." <laughs> Isn't that that's, amazing? That's amazing. Yeah, he talks <laughs> about it when we did the pod. <laughs> that's just amazing. So yeah. his wife had to go into the archives. Hey, I need this book. And find this book. <laughs> wow. That's a good one. Yeah. That, you know, and I'll be incredible. able to tweet that out. Yeah. Uh, it was part of this. That's, it's a great read. It's yeah, it read. is. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. One of the things that caught my eye while reading that was how he knew in this area or this area of the country, Chicago, uh, around here is that in the summertime, the clay soils get hard and they bake out. And, and you know, I, I start thinking about these slopes around the greens. Well, that that's w- they would have baked out in the summertime here. Mm-hmm. And they would have been brown and hard as a rock and the balls would have bounced, you know, they would have diverted to where he wanted them to. The, the as far as the slopes so uh maintaining them is a different story uh, obviously we we uh nowadays don't want brown dead grass on the slopes around greens so what what uh, got me thinking about expanding and mowing them shorter was was that philosophy that you wanted the ball to roll or bounce so mowing it shorter became a priority now getting there um has been interesting um we've yet to figure it all out uh but we're getting close with uh fly mowers um some of our fairway mowers can can hug uh some of these banks but they they are difficult to maintain for sure they're just so big it's not only the angle it's just the size of them yeah and i remember uh, hearing Richard Forsythe, uh, superintendent at Royal Melbourne, talk about how their greens aren't v- really big. I mean, they're they're good size, but the bunkering and everything around them makes them seem bigger, um, which is true here because yes. you could have a green side bunker shot, but it could be thirty yards or forty yards to just to get on top of the green. So that that's. The difficult part to me in maintaining them is that they're not only steep, but they're just large, um, and it 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 it, pre- it presents a challenge for sure. And it's just, you know, we've we've like I said, we've tried to you know, uh, rotary mowers, push mowing, fly mowers, weed Wh- eating. Which one's the, which one worked the worst? <laughs> <laughs> I think the push mowing was the worst because I remember about breaking my ankle trying to, you know, trying to hold the slopes while pushing a you know, uh, out front rotary mower. Um, have you seen those like Roomba like mowers? Yeah. Maybe I don't know how much those things cost. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully there's, I I think we've found something with these, with the fly mowers we're using that we can get down to, you know, a half inch mowing height, which is, I, I think about perfect for, for our slopes. Um, it will, it'll take balls where they need to go or where they're intended to go. And, and, uh, so we just, we just started doing that at the end of the year. So we'll see how it, how it works out, uh, this spring. So, uh, we'll get, we'll get you out of here. We're, uh, but, um, you know, in terms of 
Langford Moreau, and obviously, you know, you said to me today, like there was one point when you were first got out here, you're like, whoa, this is different. What amazes you the most about what they did at this property? Well, what what's really amazing, and I I think it's amazing to most people is is how much earth they moved in 1922 uh, with the equipment they had. You know, I've I've been looking for that photo of a steam shovel out here to 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 be able to show you. Uh, but that I mean, it's just going to be in the archives. Yeah, it could be there. It could be there. That when they built the airport, I did read that they borrowed Culver's steam shovel to build the two runways. So I know there there's one here somewhere. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dig deep in that. I wonder but, if it's still here. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. Very well could be, and that's what you know. It's exciting about this this uh, direction I'm going is finding things like that to see. You know, maybe it's somewhere around here. Um, but that you know, just the green pads that were built and how they were, how much they were built up. It just amazes me that that they could do that then. Yeah. Um, obviously, easier nowadays, but you know. And I and I think that might lend itself to more Theodore Moreau, what he was able to do. And I, I don't know a lot about Langford after Moreau was uh, passed on of of his work. You know, I don't know if it changed or... I think it's, it's much different before. Yeah. Much more subdued before him and Moreau got together. Okay. And then the Harry Smead might have been involved yeah. too. Which yeah. There's another, there's a, just not enough information no. out there. I don't no. think anybody's, you know, uh, Dan Moore's done a lot of research, but nobody's really dug into them like the the way that Donald Ross has been researched. Oh, yeah, no doubt, without a Alistair doubt. Alistair McKenzie, yeah. or, you know. Yeah, it's without a doubt. Definitely because they were designing golf courses in places like Culver, Indiana, and not San Francisco or right. Monterey oh, sure. Peninsula. Sure. Or right. <laughs> yeah, big difference. Yeah, big New difference. New York and uh, Boston. Exactly. Yeah, but they were they were really busy. They that's were for sure. They, they did a lot of work, and uh, you know, unfortunately, most of it's uh, been changed or gone. But it's and it's Sean Tully will tell you the same thing. It, you just we need to find out more about them because the work they have done that's still here is, is pretty impressive mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's neat. So, um, we wish you the best on, on your historical deep dive. Hope it, hope it doesn't lead to too much frustration. <laughs> dead ends. Yeah. We hope not to, yeah. that's for sure. But I, I, uh, you, you'll know when I find something for yeah, sure. Yeah, everybody can <laughs> follow you on uh, on on Twitter. Your handle's uh, M Vesley. M D Vesley. Yeah. M D Vesley. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a good follow. Good. Lots of lots of information up there. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, we'll talk soon. And uh, thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate it.